And welcome to another episode of Immigration and Mobility Decoded, a podcast about business immigration and global mobility. We have a great episode ahead. Uh, Finn, how are you doing on this Monday morning? Doing well, fighting off the spring allergies. Uh, I think there's more pollen than oxygen in the air right now, but oh, all man. Right. battle through it to summer. Yeah, yes, I feel like this is week two of, of your allergy battle. That's how it goes, you know. How is it in <laughs> Chicago? Do you guys got a, a lot of pollen there? Or um, no trees, just high rises, you can get away with it. <laughs> Depending on where you live, there's actually a pretty good amount of trees. Um, I don't, I don't have allergies, so I, I guess uh, I'll have to ask the wife on on how on her allergies are doing because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> you have a superior immune system, I guess, huh? Yeah, there you go, <laughs> there you go. Um, how was your Mother's Day weekend? Uh, we are recording this uh, May 15th, so you know the weekend following or the day after Mother's Day. Mother's Day was great. A lot of time in the garden. A lot of time cooking uh, breakfast and dinner for mom and the family. So uh, it was great. How about yours? Same, same. Uh, celebrated both sides of the family. Uh, a lot of a lot of good food was eaten. Um, steakhouse. Uh, there's a, a local restaurant, fried chicken place in Chicago that we visited uh, yesterday. Ooh. So can't go wrong with both of those. Um, nice. But yeah, shout out to all the mothers out there um, and appreciate everything you do. So Finn, uh, hopping into immigration. Um, you know, this uh, the conversation we have coming up is with Sophie King. Uh, she is the president of Global Immigration here at or at Envoy Global. Um, she is based in the UK. We spoke to her um, a couple days ago just to learn more about you know global immigration, uh, the mobility industry as a whole. Um, anything noteworthy that stood out to you in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, the conversation's great. Um, you know, similar to all of our guests, Sophie just has a really interesting background. She didn't follow sort of the traditional track of somebody in the immigration and mobility world. Um, she's not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's been an entrepreneur and run her own her own uh, immigration service companies in the past. And, uh, you know, she came aboard at Envoy a few years ago and um, has really overseen quite the expansion of Envoy's global services. Um, and has her finger on the pulse of really everything that's going on in the global immigration space. Um, so we get the chance to talk with her about uh, kind of what the future of global mobility and immigration looks like, which I found really interesting. And I hope the audience will too. Definitely, definitely agree. So that conversation will be coming up soon. Uh, but if uh, before we get there, uh, just a brief reminder that if you're watching on YouTube, definitely uh, like this video and subscribe to the Envoy Global YouTube channel so you can watch prior podcast episodes as well as future content coming out. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, definitely would appreciate a follow. Uh, so Finn, just quickly hopping into some immigration uh, news updates. Uh, the June Visa Bulletin recently came out. Um, what happened with the uh, June Visa Bulletin? Yeah, it came out late last week, um, and essentially what happened is not a whole lot, but that isn't great news uh, for most folks who are stuck in the green card backlog because uh, most of the, the categories that have the biggest backlog have retrogressed so much in the last six months mm. um, that obviously everyone's hoping for forward movement at least a little bit uh, each time a new visa bulletin comes out. But this month's for the major, major employment-based categories was pretty stagnant. 
Um, so that, that is unfortunate for, for a lot of folks, but we hope that, uh, you know, the state department and USCIS and the government, uh, starts to work through that backlog uh, a little bit more this year. Mm -hmm, definitely. And speaking of backlogs, uh, there was a piece in Axios, uh, late last week, uh, where they highlighted the, uh, staffing shortages going on in the nursing and assisted living facility sphere slash industries. Um, as I'm sure a lot of us know, a lot of registered nurses in the U.S. are of immigrant heritage. In fact, I think it's one in six registered nurses are immigrant. And a lot of these uh, practices, facilities, companies are finding themselves in a tight spot, according to Axios, in that they've hired a workforce, but they're unable to come to the U.S. because of the backlog in the visa interview process. Uh, approximately 370,000 applicants have a scheduled interview pending. Uh, so that piece is on Axios. Definitely recommend checking that out. And Finn, elsewhere, I think a lot of us, you know, probably in the last two weeks or so saw this across, you know, all the major news outlets and publications, uh, but Title 42 did end on May 11th. That expired as a result of the national COVID health emergency also expiring. Um, you know, we won't get too much into Title 42 but uh, have you come across any resources uh, that you might recommend for listeners to check out if they want to learn more about, you know, what it means moving forward? Yeah, I always recommend the National Immigration Forum's research. Um, I mean, like you said, Title 42 really has been dominating um, not just the immigration news landscape for the past couple of weeks, but, you know, the, the mainstream news landscape for the past couple of weeks as well. Um, but, you know, one factor of that one uh, result of, of that might be that Congress seems to be looking at immigration a little bit more seriously again. Uh, our friend uh, Arturo uh, over at the National Immigration Forum, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, he put out the National Immigration Forum's uh, legislative bulletin today, sort of recapping all of the existing bills in Congress that relate to immigration. Uh, so there's a bit more chatter around immigration reform right now. And obviously, Congress plays a huge role in creating and making and reforming immigration policy. Um, I know, Eric, you've been following one particular bill uh, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, to your point about Congress, uh, you know, maybe looking to move forward on, on some immigration legislation. Uh, also, late last week, the uh, House of Representatives passed a, an immigration bill focused on the border. Um, the vote was 219 to 213. And in that bill, it was mainly focused on border security, uh, that according to the New York Times uh, would crack down on you know, unlawful immigration. Uh, additionally, uh, the Times says the bill would uh, codify a number of uh, policies that the uh, Trump administration had enacted during uh, the time in office. Additionally, uh, the bill would mandate companies verify their employees are legally eligible to work in the U.S. through the e-verify system. Uh, the New York Times and other outlets have additional write-ups uh, and dive deeper into the context of that bill. Uh, but most 
observers uh, say that the bill does not have a chance to advance in the Senate. And if it did, I believe uh, President Biden has already said he would veto that bill. Uh, so as we look to wrap things up uh, for this uh, episode's intro, Finn, anything else uh, top of mind? Yeah, final thing I'll add. Uh, Envoy is conducting a poll survey this month of uh, global mobility specialists, uh, immigration managers, uh, anyone in the global mobility world who's currently working uh, at a company and uh, a company that uh, has employees in Canada or requires uh, business travel to Canada. And essentially, just a short two-minute survey uh, where Envoy is asking folks, you know, how they feel about uh, current trends in Canadian immigration policy. And the plan is to release those results uh, at the end of the month. So we'll add that survey link uh, in the description. And if you qualify, uh, please share your feedback and your input. Uh, again, it's just a quick two-minute survey, and the results will be shared at the end of the month. Awesome. Looking forward to those results. And now I'd like to welcome Sophie King, President of Global Immigration at Envoy Global, to the show. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is technically part two. Uh, the last time we, we had you on, we ran into some technical difficulties, so we just decided to re-record uh, re and have a, have, a, have a smooth session. Hopefully no internet outages uh, this time around. Yeah, yeah. Talk to Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Sophie, how are things? How are things going? Uh, I know you have a big update for us. We'll get to it in a second. But uh, overall, how are things going on, on your neck of the woods? Pretty good. Yeah, it's a nice sunny day, which always puts all British people in a good mood because it's not that <laughs> common. You know, just come back from Dublin last week where we had a big event. That was really fun. And yeah, things are mm -hmm. things are looking pretty good from where I'm. Sitting. Awesome. So we'll get to that event uh, in Dublin in just a second. But Sophie, I just wanted to kind of start uh, with your career background uh, and just learn a little bit more about how you got started in global immigration. Well, I studied. Uh, so, yeah, what do I, my, my mother wanted me to be a lawyer. Uh, my grandfather was a lawyer. I did not want to do what my mom asked me to do so I refused to be a lawyer which is quite funny since now I spend all day every day working with lawyers and most people think I am a lawyer I'm, I'm not a lawyer though I did languages so I studied Chinese at university and then I went and lived in Japan for a little while and learned Japanese and when I got back to the UK I wanted some type of job in some type of international field and an advert came up for an immigration consultant position so I answered it I didn't even really understand what it was and uh, I loved the idea of it as soon as I was at the interview so I took the job and have never looked back, really, you know. Yeah. And I, I've always done global. I've never specialized in one country. So the, mm -hmm. the job was always any country to any other country. Mm -hmm. And I always loved, like, getting up in the morning, calling, you know, from my time zone, we call Asia Pacific first thing in the morning. So I would call Japan and China and Australia and chat to them one morning. And then I'd have the middle of the day for, you know, kind of Europeans or maybe lunch break. And then in the afternoon, I'd be talking to the Americans and the Brazilians and the Canadians. And I loved it. And I yeah. still love it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's such an awesome uh, career path. Do you, what, what are, what are some people's reactions when they find out you're, you're not actually a lawyer? Yeah, they can't believe it, you know, and sometimes, <laughs> in fact, I was having lunch with somebody the other day who was a, a lovely guy and a very well-renowned lawyer. And I, he said, lawyers like us. And I said, actually, I'm not. And he looked a bit horrified. He was a bit like, oh. I was like, yeah, you've been having <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like Erin Brockovich, you know, she says, I just work with them. So 
yeah I have the <laughs> highest and deepest respect for lawyers most of my best friends are lawyers but I don't mind not being one because I feel like if you're a lawyer you specialize very deeply in one area which I really respect mm-hmm. but I have always been more of a um you know uh broad but maybe shallow you know I, li- I like to learn about everything a little bit right. about everything right so yeah so uh you are uh, a lot of our guests have lived in other uh, lived around the world. So of the yeah. of the countries you've lived in, um, any of them? Do you have any uh, experiences that stand out more than others? Well, I don't know because of the countries that I've lived in, I've lived in it at such different stages of my life. So when I was eighteen, I went to Russia for six months. Spent six months in Moscow, which was amazing. I was a teacher, even though I was only like one or two years older than my students. In fact, once one of the one of the other teachers came into our classroom and told us all off because she thought I was just one of the students as well. And I, I just didn't say anything because I didn't want to admit that I was supposed to be the teacher. So that was, you know, that was a kind of coming of age experience. You know, I went on the train to Vladivostok, you know, and back again and had some amazing times. And then when I was studying Chinese, obviously I went to live in China for a little while. And that was amazing to learn Chinese, uh, speak to Chinese people for the first time you know, um, again, living in a student hostel. Then I spent a few years in Japan um, where I was finally earning some money. Uh, I was teaching English, obviously, just straight post-university. And then I lived in Spain for a while and that was a completely different experience because that was, I was already working by then and we moved our um, global team for the company I was working for at the time. We moved it from London to Madrid just because we were growing so fast uh, so we left our UK-based team, you know, the UK immigration experts in London, and then we moved the global team to Madrid. So I had to move my team and I had to hire in Madrid. So that was an utterly different experience. But all of them were wonderful um, and experiences that I would certainly not ever want to have missed out on. Um, and I'm a bit sad that my kind of traveling around the world days are temporarily, you know, I've got children, so you can't yeah. really do that so easily. I mean... I'm in awe of our clients who are moving their families all the time. I can't mm-hmm. even imagine how difficult that is, but right. yeah, I'm, I'm postponed for a little while. <laughs> at least. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different experiences. Love to hear it. Uh, no, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, so Sophie at the top, you mentioned uh, immigration day, uh, which uh, you recently organized and held in a Dublin uh, the last week of April. Was it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, can you just talk a little bit more about that event, uh, the audience, and and some of uh, and noteworthy uh, items that came out of it? So it was an amazing event, and I, I nominally organised it, but it was a whole team of people who organised it, both within Envoy and outside Envoy. So it was a massively collaborative experience, and it um, we did it the day before the Euro Conference. So the Euro Conference is. Um, the European Relocation Association, although now there are members from all over the world. And I've been going to their conferences for years and years and years. And I've always organized the immigration uh, day that has historically been on the Tuesday uh, for several years. This year, they couldn't do it. Euro couldn't do it because they wanted to concentrate quite fairly and reasonably on sustainability, which is clearly an issue facing our industry. Um, So I said to them, look, why don't we just do it as an envoy day and not as part of Euro, which they were very happy with and I was very happy with. So, so that's, that's what happened. So Euro starts on the Wednesday and we had our day's events on the Tuesday and it was amazing. So we had uh, two government ministers come to speak to us. So Minister Neil Richmond opened, opened the day and then Minister Simon Coveney, who's the deputy leader of Fine Gael, which is the party in charge in Ireland at the moment. He came as our keynote speaker at the end of the day. 
we had um, a number of amazing panels. So we had a panel on Ireland and how Ireland's kind of open and welcoming attitude and like deep understanding of immigration as an economic lever has been so successful in bringing companies to Ireland and really supporting the economy and all of that kind of stuff. And that was moderated by Billy, who's an old friend of mine, um, and included our very own Aaron Flynn, so our director of Ireland, who is um, an absolutely lovely person. And uh, we also had David Hennehan, who works at Adelshaw Goddard, which is a great law firm in Dublin. And we had Andrew Fogelar, who works for the IDA, which is the investment authority in Ireland, which partners really successfully with companies to help, you know, um, develop in Ireland. And then we had a international panel moderated by Priam from India. And we had uh, Ken from Canada, Joanna from Sweden, Kunle from Nigeria, and Faisal from Saudi. So they were talking about kind of, you know, how things ebb and flow a little bit. So Sweden historically has been seen as being quite open. Now is very much like closing its door. They have quite a right-wing party in charge. It's a little bit more immigration. It's a bit of a hot potato, you know. Um, Nigeria, like what happens there, like oil and gas, post-oil and gas. And then Saudi is super interesting because obviously they have um, a big drive to encourage foreign direct investment um so saudi's granting government contracts only to companies that have their regional hqs in in saudi so they're trying to encourage people to move from dubai to saudi uh that type of stuff going on there so that was very oh and on that panel we had emma richmond as well talking about ireland because we really wanted to represent ireland throughout the whole day since since that's where we were and then in the afternoon we had this kind of collaborative workshop so we got into groups and Maria from Greece and Georgie from Barcelona who were two amazing immigration experts and obviously good friends they organized this kind of event where in the tables people were inventing their own immigration program like if you were an advisor to a to a government what would you suggest they do to bring in key talent and skilled workers so we had people coming up with all sorts of crazy ideas and then we were allowed to vote for the country's program that we thought was the best and there were prizes and, and then we had a drinks party so yeah it was an amazing day and we loved it yeah. drinks drinks never hurt uh especially at a party no. uh yeah. one more question and then i'll turn it turn it over to finn um i guess sophie some of those uh ideas that you guys voted on uh what any that stood out the most that that uh that you'd like to share so there was a lot about there was there was the things that you would expect right um spousal work permission being important short processing times being document intensive uh that type of stuff benefits like permanent residency um access to citizenship and then we had some slightly more crazy and out there ideas like um no tax you know our the skilled talent who comes to our country won't have to pay any tax at all for a long time or um on our table there was this idea if the government or if the company invests, I can't even remember what we, what we said. We were a little bit overexcited. If the company invests, you know, $10 million or, or currency or whatever into this scheme of ours, then they would be uh, assigned or given access to a pool of skilled labor that we would source from skilled refugees who are uh, available and able and would like to contribute their skills and their, you know, their talents and their energy to the workforce that, I mean, I think many of these things are not really workable in practice. And there was a lot of kind of uh, laughter in this session, you know, because we were thinking about kind of, I guess, ideals and, you know, what, what could you do if you could do anything? But then you get a little bit drawn back to earth and you think, well, if we, if we wouldn't have any tax at all, maybe, maybe our country would be on a short road to bankruptcy, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and one of the rules actually in this session was that 
the incentives and the ideas we should be discussing should have precedent somewhere else. So obviously this $10 million refugee doesn't really have precedent, although the work that um, Talent Beyond Boundaries does is akin to that sort of thing. You know, they have a book of, I mean, the work that Marina Brizar does with that organisation is absolutely amazing. So she has a book of like, skilled and talented refugees and she works with governments to try and open up legal routes uh, into the labour market for these people. Um, but yeah, we were supposed to defend our, and you know, there are routes where there's no tax to be paid, obviously in countries where, where that doesn't happen. Obviously there are routes where there's spousal work permission or access for dependents, non-traditional dependents, you know, so for maybe second level cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and that type of thing. So, and it was quite inspirational how much knowledge everybody in the room has, you know, when they come together, because people would say, I, I didn't know this really exists. And someone else would say, no, 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 I've seen that in Saudi or I've seen that program in Dominican Republic or whatever. So that's, that's always fun as well. Yeah. Well, Sophie, yeah. with this, uh, with this collaboration of ideas and, 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 folks fresh on yeah. your mind. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of the 10,000 foot view of global mobility in 2023. I mean, believe it or not, we're almost halfway through the year, right? It's May right now, we're almost to June, halfway at the halfway point of 2023. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, and there are several countries this year that have opened up new immigration pathways to attract skilled talent. From, from your perspective, what countries are you keeping an eye on? where you think those countries will uh, continue to open up new pathways to try to attract employers and attract foreign talent? Uh, and what countries do you think employers are looking at in the next six months to maybe shift uh, their, uh, their talent to? So I don't know. I mean, the usual suspects jump out, right? So Canada, um, Ireland. I mean, I've obviously just been in Ireland. And we've literally just been talking about all of this. So maybe that's why it's kind of top of mind for me. But countries, so one of the comments one of our ministers made last week, he said, um, we consider it a privilege when companies want to come here. We are privileged and grateful to companies that want to set up their headquarters here. And he said, and I think some other countries maybe see it as more of a um, burden to have to deal with the kind of administration. That, so really, I think sometimes it's a question of the new versus the old. You know, some of our, and I don't want to name like in a negative way, but some of our older countries with kind of older and bigger economies maybe aren't quite as appreciative of foreign investment and immigration talent as as newer countries so I think that's what we should be looking at is um you know places like Ireland Canada Saudi like these places that we've talked about which are thinking actually we need have understood we need that workforce and we need that talent uh the EU is interesting because the EU very clearly need talent the EU population is aging dramatically obviously and clearly needs immigration to come in and, and stimulate the economy and, and look after. and I think that's very widely acknowledged with the new but because of the nature of the EU it's, it's difficult to you know the, the new uh, revised blue card scheme is, is a very clear attempt as was the old blue card scheme right it's a very clear attempt to try and draw in that type of talent but it always runs into a few hurdles because it's it has to be you know, one size fits fits so many, and that's that's quite tricky. Speaking of the EU, a hot topic in 2022, and I'm sure it will be going forward in the coming years, is remote work visas. And most recently, Spain yeah. introduced one. I know Italy's considering one. Germany has one. Uh, there's several countries in in, um, uh, in the Middle East yeah. and the Caribbean that have them. How do you view the role of remote work visas and digital nomadism as a broader trend uh, in the corporate immigration space going forward? So this is really interesting because there are multiple different types of 
remote work slash digital nomad visas, right? So there's the Caribbean ones, which were an early response to COVID, meaning that nobody could come as tourists to their countries. So they thought, well, what on earth can we do? Everybody's working from home with their laptop. Why don't they work here? It's obviously nicer than that, <laughs> you know, cold little spare room in London or wherever. And, and that was one response to that very specific scenario, which I think was reasonably successful and, and has stuck. Then you have these digital nomad so-called visas in yeah places like Spain, Greece, um, Estonia's got quite a good one. Uh, Germany has a, a sort of freelancer visa, which they had anyway, but which people have been sort of rebranding as a digital nomad visa. It's a bit more complicated. And I think the, the issue or the, the wrinkles that will have to be ironed out are because the term digital nomad is, uh, this makes me sound like an old woman, but I am one. Uh, so I'm just going to say anyway, the term digital nomad is made up. It doesn't really mean anything. So it's not really a thing. There's not an actual, you know, it's not a thing. <laughs> so you can't say, oh, yeah, digital nomads can apply for this visa because people haven't agreed. And each country is defining the concept of digital nomad for themselves. So, you know, typically speaking, we're talking about somebody who's on uh, a contract, contract somewhere else, who's not working directly with clients in that country, who is paid enough to support themselves and who is essentially kind of floating on, on the surface of the, of the society. You know, they're not kind of integrating themselves into the labor market. But some of these schemes allow some, well, I think the Spanish scheme does allow some work with clients in Spain. So it becomes like a little bit more of a gray area. And I think the success or otherwise of them depends on probably two or three things. So one, uh, how much they fill a gap. So the, the UAE version of the, of the digital nomad visa is excellent and very successful and very popular, partly because there's a really good mechanism. Well, I didn't think there was a very good mechanism in the UAE for uh, temporary and uh, non-local employees. So if you wanted to send someone on like a six month or a nine month assignment, it was quite tricky to do that in a compliant way. And the digital nomad visa has made that possible in the UAE. So it fills a gap and that's that's a good thing. And so where that happens, then I think they will be successful. But then the other side of it is how well uh, such schemes are um, set up with regard to tax and social security and employment and all of that type of stuff as well, because all of that is huge and you can't really disentangle it. So uh, the Spanish one, I think, has there's a lot of consideration being given to those aspects. Maybe some of the other programs, not so much. Actually, we were laughing about it last week because Maria and Jordi, who I mentioned, from Greece and Spain, you know, Maria was saying, well, Greece had its first. And Georgia was saying, well, the Spanish one's better. And we thought about it more. So, you know, so there's a little bit swings and roundabouts, right? Um, I think it's really interesting though. We'll see where we get to with it. Um, and I think, I think if I can carry on like banging on about it, I think the other thing that's really interesting about it is the definition of what work is, because for a long time, immigration policies have been designed around this concept of work and work you know, when people think about work, it's like, what is it? So my work, such as it is, basically involves talking to people and writing some emails, you know? And so if I go to another country, I carry on talking to people and writing emails. I don't pick up spanners and start fixing machines or going into hospitals and like, you know, performing tests on people. You know, the work that I do and that you do, that most of us do, is pretty um, difficult to define. Uh, you know, the difference between that and a business view is quite difficult to find. So I think it will therefore, and, and more and more that is the case, and it seems to me, and I think seems to, to many of us, right, that if you're going to have uh, 
work that is a bit more like business but which clearly is still work you're going to have to have slightly more flexible and slightly more um, agile immigration systems which can accommodate and allow for that type of work becoming compliant because you know you should not go and work on a business visa but if your work is a thing that you can do easily in a two or three or four or you know a couple of weeks trip to somewhere then really you should be applying for a thing which can then be issued to you under those circumstances. I don't know if this makes sense, but hopefully. You no, it makes total sense. And it's, it's a, per, it's honestly a perfect segue into the question I wanted to ask you next, because you know, there are, you already alluded to it, but there are traditional visas uh, like in the U S we have the H1B, right. And that's a yeah. visa for a specific class of worker, right. To do, um, you know, a specific yeah. sort of high skilled task. Um, but more and more, you know, these digital, these remote work visas that countries are introducing, like you said, operate a bit more in the gray area um, and have yeah. more flexibility around the definitions for what uh, is considered work under the, the requirements to uh, obtain that yeah. visa. And then somewhere in the middle, you have um, like the UK high potential uh, individual visa, right? That yeah. is for a specific group of, uh, you know, highly educated uh, foreign uh, yeah. professionals, right? But they aren't tied to an employer. So they can sort of get the visa, yeah. come to the UK and, 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 find their own yeah. path from there. What do you think will be the predominant um, strategy for countries as they're developing new immigration pathways going forward? Will it be a mix of those three, um, you know, sort of a smorgasbord of all available options or will, will one, uh, will the more flexible or the more stringent pathways uh, beat each other out? I don't know. I can't see, I can't see a very clear way to get past having to tie work permits to specific types of work because if you if you don't do that uh for the majority you know that uk visa that you that you mentioned is for a very tiny 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 group of people and it's, it's not going to really make any dent or any impact in the labor market uh but if you're not careful with how you issue work permits and if you're not um cautious about which roles you issue them in then you can have a problem with your labor market and if you start having problems with your labor market then people start getting unhappy with you about immigration and once people get unhappy with you then you have to have very openly restrictive policies and it's very hard for you to row back on them even if what your economy actually needs is to be a little then the, then the politicians can't even go there so you know if i were giving advice to my fictional country as we were doing last week in dublin i'd say be a little bit careful with how open generous you are just so you don't dig a hole for yourself to fall into because you have to tread that line so carefully you know and this is what our irish ministers were saying as well they were like we recognize that we have there's a housing problem in ireland there, there really isn't enough housing so they were saying we recognize this and we recognize that having you know a lot of people coming in is putting strain on some of our uh, infrastructure but we also understand that it's good for our economy but we have to tread the line carefully because it doesn't take much for it to just flip flip the wrong way around so, yeah, yeah, I think what would be useful, though, and I think some countries, you know, I, I hope we see more of this is a bit more flexibility for changing of status or changing of employer. So if you have somebody on a work permit and they either lose their job or they want to move to a new job, you don't want that talent, really, typically, if they're on a highly skilled um, work visa, you don't want that talent to have to leave and then find employer and then come back. So in a lot of countries, there is flexibility to have you know, a month or two months or, but I feel like they should be a little bit longer uh, in, in most places to have that flexibility and that leeway to find a new employer and then switch status without having to go all the way home again. Sophie. Yeah. 
Um, switching to, uh, at, you mentioned at, at, at uh, the Immigration Day, uh, one of the topics that was discussed was sustainability. Uh, can you dive into that a little bit more and maybe explain and talk more about the audience about sustainability and why it's a growing uh, concern, issue, et cetera? Well, actually, sustainability was not discussed. Sustainability was Euro, the Euro conference put on a day of sustainability events. So not only did we not discuss sustainability, but we had a competing, <laughs> not really competing, but we, our immigration day was on the same day as their sustainability day. But I totally supported their desire to talk about sustainability. It's really important for the relocation industry specifically, because a lot of our colleagues and peers at this conference are people who are doing like traditional relocation services where they're, you know, moving um, trucks and people's possessions and they're flying. So, you know, there's question marks over, is it better to buy new stuff or is it better to ship your old stuff? And what you, you know, all of that, all, all of that type of carbon footprint and, and all of that. So it doesn't apply maybe to the immigration industry quite so much because we're giving, um, you know, we're essentially in the advice business rather than the kind of tangible object business. But I fully supported their need and desire to talk about it. Although I wanted to talk about immigration a bit more. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, I started hearing more about sustainability and in, in Relo and global mobility. Uh, yeah, as early last year. So um, any yeah. yeah. And there's a few initiatives, right? So there's there's the work that you are doing is doing. There's um my friend Paul Barnes is a is a uh, ind independent consultant who cares very deeply about sustainability and global mobility, and he's giving advice to clients on how to to his clients on how to. Um, you know, think about these policies when you're drafting your relocation policy and, and all of that type of stuff. Because there's a lot to unpack, I think. And it's quite difficult uh, for companies. You know, you're trying to think about compliance and risk and how to be attractive to your employees and how to make sure. And then how do you do all of that while also being, you know, green and, and eco-positive and, you know, and with all of these things, I don't know. I mean, I'm no expert at all, but I always feel like as soon as you feel like you're doing the right thing, then it, you discover that actually you've done the wrong thing, you know you think it's great to recycle everything and then you find it you shouldn't have recycled it you should have reused it or never bought it in the first place or whatever yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah some of the some of some of the rules even even the, the like the mundane ones of like you mentioned recycling uh i've been i'm in chicago and and we have like recycling bins and i know this does not at all completely relate to global mobility but uh it's just like if you throw the wrong yeah. thing in there they just toss out everything else that's uh, that's in the bed right exactly exactly so what if you do you put in your like dirty pizza box and then like god i might have polluted the whole of the recycling yeah. entire city and yeah, yeah you gotta be careful you gotta get it right but yeah <laughs> um so sophie i know we have a, a couple minutes left um i guess just just as we seek as we look to wrap things up uh you know finn i, I like it at the start you mentioned you know we're, we're already almost at the halfway point of the year may coming up on june uh, Sophie, in your in your experience, or if you were to put on your your hat of words of wisdom, um, at this time of the year, should companies look at their global mobility programs, their global immigration programs, and reassess um, anything that they, in your opinion, that they should take stock of as you know, then we move uh, move throughout the rest of the year. So, in an ideal world. Um... In an ideal world, I think people would be looking at their Q1 and then their Q2 kind of spend and uh, movement, you know, who's going where, why they're going, how long they're going for and how much it's costing. And then they would use that information to try and plan to cut costs, but keep 
the desired kind of actions and mobility and all that kind of stuff for the second half of the year. So it's always useful to, you know, take stock and, and look back and try and plan for the, for the rest of the year and to think about what you're going to do next year. Um, I mean, I'm uh, a reporting uh, geek. I, I love reports and I think it's really important for people to understand. I don't see how you can make any good decisions about anything unless you know what it is that you're doing in the first place. So I think it's very important for companies to have access to, yeah, like I say, what they're spending and why they're spending it um, in order to make sensible decisions about if they need to continue to do that or if they're going to need to up the spend or if there's something where they can they can reduce it, um, look at different types of assignment, different types of program, because there's a lot you can do uh, with immigration that I think not everybody realises. You don't have to send everybody in long-term work assignments. Sometimes it's better to do short-term rotational assignments or you know even kind of remote work sometimes it's possible to send people on business trips if you cut out the pieces of their activity which are sort of tipping them over the edge into needing work permits and why not do that if it's going to be quicker and easier um, and save you some some time and some money so I think that's what you want to be doing is looking at what you did and and trying to think about optimizations for the second half of the year yeah sure for sure well, Sophie, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, before we before we wrap things up, uh, I know you just had Immigration Day uh, 2023. Any other events coming up that uh, you'd like our audience to know about? Well, I know that we have people going to CERC in September in uh, Canada. I think that, um, I'm pretty sure that Regina, uh, my colleague in Singapore, might be at the ERC in Singapore, although I haven't actually spoken to her about it yet, but I think she might be there. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll be around the place. We always love to see everybody and meet everyone. Um, I might go to the IBA in Paris in October. Not sure yet, but yeah. And then, and then we're already thinking about Immigration Day 2024 as well. You stole my, you so, stole my question. Yeah. I was going to ask if, if that's on the, <laughs> if that's uh, been, been thought yeah. of. We have to, you know, because everyone was like, oh, we had such a great time. So I'm going to send a survey out to all, because, you know, people say to you, oh, it's amazing. And I always think, oh, great. But then you think, well, maybe they're just saying that to me. So we're going to send out an anonymous survey to all the attendees and just check if everybody did actually like it mm. and what they want to talk about next year. But next year, year is in Portugal. So I'm thinking, this is like a sneak preview and don't hold me to it, but I'm thinking maybe we could have a tech theme because Portugal's big into digital nomad and tech investment and they have uh, a really um, excellent kind of investment arm of the government as well which helps companies come and set up they have special you know uh, slightly relaxed criteria for tech visas and that type of stuff so I'm thinking to have a tech theme of the day thinking about maybe look at the role of AI and immigration as well maybe this time next year we might understand a little bit more about what we're talking about there you know so well, Sophie, Eric and I would yeah. like to formally uh, offer ourselves as the official <laughs> podcast for Immigration Day 2024. Immigration yes. Mobility Decoded would love to be there. <laughs> yes. Not because we like to go to Portugal be or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um, well, Sophie, keep us, keep us uh, in the loop and post it on Immigration Day 2024 and any other events. Uh, final question, where can uh, listeners find you and potentially ask you questions or just chat? Oh, well, they can email me, obviously, sophie.king at nvoidglobal.com, or I'm on LinkedIn. I spend too much time messing around on LinkedIn. So I'm on there. Uh, and yeah, phone number is, I think, in my email signature. So yeah. email me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Sophie, uh, we appreciate you hopping on the show today. Uh, and thankfully, the internet, uh, uh, Richard Branson's internet, did not go out. So we had a smooth, <laughs> smooth recording. Um, yeah. 
thank you so much for for joining us and we look forward to having you on future episodes thanks lovely to speak take care Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Uh, if you watched this video on YouTube and you enjoyed it, please hit the like button and consider subscribing to the Envoy Global YouTube channel for more content like this. Uh, otherwise, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks everyone.